it's actually great that we get to work on this, but then sad because I already know where the season's going to go because I've, I've read all the scripts. Now I'm sort of visualizing it as they, they piece various scenes together to show you the episode that, that you'll see every week. Hello, friend. You're listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's Mr. Robot podcast. This week? Okay, this week? We need to talk about this week before we go any further. If you haven't seen the latest Mr. Robot episode titled Handshake, stop the podcast right now and come back later. Remember earlier in the season when Ray talked about some mysterious website and his seeming silk roadiness made it feel like the possibility of that popular Elliot prison institution theory? Well, the possibility wasn't very good. I said so as much on this very podcast. Boy, was I wrong. You're going to sit your ass right here until you do what you got to do. This is how it's going to go. In light of this week's Mr. Robot, headlines across the critic sphere have been split. Was this an effective use of the show's latest quote-unquote twist? But let me stop everything right there. Is the revelation that Elliot's been in prison even really a twist? The folks who feel this way strike me as the same people who thought Mr. Robot's revelation as imaginary in season one was some type of giant reveal. In reality, these are things that Sam Esmiel and his writer's room have never hid from us. Perhaps the idea in season one of Mr. Robot being fake was teased more overtly, but we got breadcrumbs in season two as well. There was the cinematography of Elliot's quote-unquote mother's house. Frankly, it looked like a prison, and when people came to visit him, they were shot in very structured settings, having to sit across a long table to have discussions. Elliot's routine in general was just so restrictive. He had yard time. He had meal time. He had support group time. He had a load time. Rinse and repeat. No computer access. No deviation from the script. Guys, it's official. I'm crazy. Eshmiel himself told the mayor of TV criticism, Alan Sepinwall, that while he was surprised some fans caught on so quickly to this season's new revelation, that's the outcome he always wanted and expected. Quote, One thing that we always do is we never want to cheat the audience. We never want it to be some extraordinarily contrived thing where we're basically lying to the audience and what they're seeing isn't actually happening. But I thought people would start to theorize on Catch On. A reveal is great when it's surprising, but it's terrible when it feels like a cheat. Don't we all protect our evil secret agendas? So in that sense, it feels cheap to me to lambast the show's decision this week. They didn't pull off some gotcha, twist, surprise, shock, earth-shattering plot thing. Uh, We were always meant to question Elliot as the ultra-unreliable narrator, and this reveal was hidden in plain sight. Some people just caught on faster than others. It's the same concept, again, as season one, with Mr. Robot being imaginary. There's no reason to trust the show less now or question what can be taken as reality, because the reality of Mr. Robot, particularly from Elliot's perspective, was always portrayed as tenuous at best. And my dead father's standing behind you right now. Certainly in the short term, being in prison only adds to all the questions. What on earth did he do to get there? We just don't know, and the theories are likely to go on. I promise I have a point. Maybe the show's reality is shaky, but we've been in on that notion from day one. It's what's led to all the theories, some which have proven correct, others not so much, but the show intentionally shares these breadcrumbs for us to play with before eventually falling through on the promise and giving us an answer. Once the answers come, 
history shows us things get even more interesting. If you recall, the 5-9 attack came after the Mr. Robot reveal, and so did a little factoid about Darlene. If the increasingly likable theory about Season 2 mirroring Season 1 continues to hold water, I'd look for something we actually didn't expect to come over the next four episodes. Now, let's get on with the podcast. But first... Word from our corporate overlords! Where are you going? Fourth of July tomorrow, I'm going to find a barbecue to be miserable at. Ars Technic is Nathan Matice here. You've been listening to Decrypted. Given the earth-shattering events of Handshake, I thought this week would be a good one to look forward. And luckily, I had the opportunity to do so in the vaguest of all vague ways. Two of the show's primary tech advisors, Andre McGregor and Ryan Kazantian of Tanium, were generous enough to invite me to a webinar this week. The primary purpose was for their security firm to talk about the tools being offered that can combat some of the hacks you see on Mr. Robot, but because these guys are, well, tech advisors on Mr. Robot, questions about the show came up early and often. Throughout their hour of discussion, they gave us the slightest of breadcrumbs about what we might be able to expect from the final four episodes of season two, and, well, what's coming now in the newly announced season three. Here are five vague, non-specific, totally speculative things that I pulled out from the audio of this week's Tanium webinar that may provide clues for what's to come with the rest of season two. You know, these are the conversations that we're, we're having, and, and this is what, you know, I think keeps the show's accuracy going. And, and it's awesome because I'll, I'll get calls from Core. He's like, oh, I'm on set right now, and we're trying to figure out how to say a, a word. Um, and I, I, won't, I won't give it away because you, you'll, you'll see it soon. But, you know, they want to get the accuracy of how hackers or, you know, InfoSec members would say the terms that we, we use, you know, things like emit versus emit and, and, and statements like that, you know, help to just reaffirm the fact that, you know, the show is staying true to life. I am not a hacker, nor do I play one on TV. But I read a lot about it editing for Ars Technica. And the fact that Andre McGregor noted some highly debatable hacking terms are likely to come up in the rest of the season gives you the slightest of hints for what we might expect for the rest of F Society's shenanigans. Just had to index it on a few search engines and with the added touch of adverts on the top advertising sites, and now it's accessible to any average scumbag that Googles Thai girls for sale. Do I have a possible clue for what the hard-to-pronounce hacking tools or terminology might be? No. I've got to search Dan Gooden's archives on Ars Technica a little bit more frequently. But if you've got an idea, reach out to us. Leave it in the comments of an Ars Technica story on Mr. Robot, or hit me up at social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot hacking terms in the subject. On to our second tidbit. So the, the ransomware scene came to light when set production said our previous hack idea was too expensive. Uh, I wish I could kind of go into what was planned before the ransomware hack, but I can't because it's possible you'll see it in a future season. Remember when Andre McGregor came on to talk about that ransomware hack? He mentioned how Cora Donna, the show's head technical writer, and he had to work quickly after they discovered what they originally wanted to do wasn't feasible. Now, part of that was pen testing, as Andre revealed. Apparently, the other part of it was just the sheer scale of what they originally had written. 
what kind of hack could be so luxurious, so overindulgent, that USA's prestigious drama would say, eh, a little too pricey for what we want to do? I'm not sure. The show has already shown that it is willing to hack hospitals, prisons, banks. What could be even more over the top? Whatever it is, Andre's not willing to say just yet, because apparently, though it wasn't happening in season two, that idea might still be on the table. Yeah, so as you as you keep uh, exploring uh, season two, you, you'll sort of see where that, that, that continues. Uh, obviously, I'm going to have to hold back on a lot of what I wanted to talk about because it's going to be towards the end of the season and into next season. But, but obviously, kind of the way that this all started was, you know, E-Corp is hacked, and obviously the government has to have a response. And so that, that's going to go by way of the FBI and, and most recently uh, Presidential Protective Deta- uh, Directive 41 has labeled the FBI as the lead incident responder for, for national security cyber attacks. And so Sam wanted to you know, really understand how that process works, what tools are used by agents, computer scientists, how they interact with intelligence analysts, how they interact with the NSA and, and how that information actually uh, is generated as well as, you know, how we collect evidence. And so for me, it, it was really sort of the opportunity to say, this is what I've done every day for five years of my life. And how do I make it so that it seems interesting on television? I, I can't because 90% of my day as an FBI agent was pretty boring. But that other 10% where you actually got to identify a subject you know, get hands on them and arrest them uh, and, and be able to take them to court was, you know, very exhilarating, you know, surveillance and being able to follow somebody. So keep watching and you'll see exactly sort of how my experience worked in, in this season. Now, this one might require a spoiler alert. Andre McGregor previously told us that his work in the FBI field office in New York involved a bunch of different things. He dealt with China. He dealt with Anonymous, LulzSec probably looked into the Silk Road. So the fact that he was willing to go on the record in a public setting and say, I can't disclose, but know that my day job and the exciting parts of my day job are likely to show up later this season. Obviously, that's got to involve FBI agent Dom, but her sights right now are on Angela after Angela got caught snooping around on the temporary field office set up in E-Corp headquarters. And there it is. What? We just own the FBI. Is that really that exciting, though? If the FBI is busting some low-level E-Corp employee? If Andre's hints prove to be very, very, very forward-thinking? I'd expect somebody big is going down. But maybe F-Society gets a little broken up? Maybe Terrell comes back into the picture and is taken down? Maybe. Just maybe, the FBI makes a little bit of headway on the Dark Army. There's no way to be certain the theories will go mad from here, but it sounds like the FBI is going to get at least a small victory before Season 2 is done. And for for me, my my two favorite hacks are are actually, well, and this is, I guess, a bit self-serving, but uh, they're they're not yet on the show, so there's one that's, very simple but funny uh, that's coming up uh, in, a, in a later episode. It's just kind of an amusing bit of uh, social engineering between some of the characters that I really liked. 
Um, and then there's uh, a much more complex one that is to come later in the season that I spent a lot of time with Core working on um, over a week of back and forth. And I'm really, really excited to see that take shape um, because uh, we, we spent quite a lot of time brainstorming through and tweaking it to be just right. Mm. Thanks, Ryan. Again, the vaguest of vague generalities to work with, but we know, one, some humor social engineering is coming through, which is part of the course based on what we've seen from F Society in particular, and two, a big hack is still to come. If it took a security professional and the show's head technical writer more than a week to figure out the details, chances are this is going to be equally as shaking, if not more, than the 5-9 attack itself. If you recall, when Andre McGregor was talking about the ransomware, he and Corridana did it quickly. So what kind of hack could take almost an entire week? We know the show's talked about the NSA and encryption, so perhaps we're talking about state-sponsored attacks this time around. Anyway, on to one final tidbit. Uh, I think we're we're doing a pretty good job of, of showing hacks that have been done already, and, and what's interesting now, and, you know, I'll throw this out to the audience listening is, you know, if you have hack ideas and you want to pass them along, I, I think Ryan and I would both be interested to, to hear about them. I mean, we're, we obviously keep up with what's going on publicly. And, you know, we were also in attendance at Black Hat DEF CON, so we're, we're, we're up to date. But if, you know, the audience members have something really cool, we'd love to, to hear about it. But, you know, we're not showing anything that's, that's magical and that, you know, no one else would think of. I mean, pretty much everything that you see on, on television has either been done somewhere in the private sector uh, before or some, you know, something that's been written. So you know, we're not showing anything that is, uh, you know, that either we're not, we're copying or someone else is going to copy from us. Now, this is perhaps the best news to come out of the Tanium webinar. No, you know, not the fact that the hacks they use often come from the real world. If you've been following along with security news and the show, that's been obvious. Uh, and the fact that the writer's room attends DEF CON and Black Hat should be no surprise. But, you know, these writers are only human just like us. And if, by chance, you know of some insane, crazy, only done once or twice before, but ground-shattering hack, they want to hear from you. I looked up the general contact. It's info at And if you're an aspiring technical consultant, or fictional hack writer, this is your opportunity. I know I'll be digging through Dan Gooden's archives now, and if by chance any of our listeners find a hack, send it in, and it ends up on the show, by all means, stay in touch. That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks this week go out to Tania, who invited us to listen in on the webinar about what goes on behind the scenes of Mr. Robot. Thanks also go out to the audio network who provided the soundtrack you heard throughout the episode. Tune in next week where, after this whole prison thing, it's probably a good time to check in on Elliot's psychological state of being. We'll do just that. Make sure you're following Decrypted wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or directly through RSS. If you got questions, comments, or thoughts, feel free to reach out to us, either through the Ars Technica forums or via email, social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot in the subject line. Until next time. I thought. Uh, don't believe what you read online. Today is my actual birthday.